0: Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness, and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We begged no longer. We defy them. You shall not press down upon the proud labor, this crown of thorns. Hey everybody, welcome back after a short respite from uh, the holiday last week, uh, we are back to talk about mine and your favorite subject, uh, a revisiting of the Communist Manifesto uh, Section 2, we got into Section 1 a couple weeks ago, had a couple interim episodes, but um, we're here to talk to you about that today, and it's uh, Chase. Uh, h- how are we feeling? How's the uh, how's the vibe after uh, the whatever six hours we've been hashing back and forth?
1: Yeah, you must be speaking about the royal you when you said this is their favorite topic or the, <laughs> or the people who want to throw the royals out. I don't know. Um, man, <laughs> I think uh, chapter two of the manifesto, has got to be the meat. I read this thing in high school and again, um, at the Academy, but I don't remember it being this, uh, heavy hitting in uh, this early. So boy, we've got a lot of wood to chop. And so, uh, whether, you know, we just saw each other in New York, we're probably going to see each other here again. There's a lot of scuttlebutt and rumor mill to be sharing with the chitty chatter, but I think we should just, um, Start chopping that wood right now and, and, and get it on because this is, sure. this, this, is, this is deep stuff. And I want to make sure at the, throughout and at the end, we remember uh, our purpose to make it personal, to make it practical, to improve the quality of our lives and help us honor God and love others in, in, in a more real, better way.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I feel like a lot of these conversations we're having almost felt like a throwback to you know pre-podcast conversations that we were having, just because it was so on the fly and and we were you know going back and forth in a in a very you know brotherly way like like we have. Um, but the point of all this and the reason why we're doing this uh, to reiterate is. Uh, you know, for whether you have never been introduced to the Communist Manifesto, you don't really have any opinions on communism, although if you're in America, you almost definitely do, even if you don't know it, um, or you just think it's an evil that we shouldn't even speak of, uh, you know, a sort of he who must not not be named um, version of Karl Marx. We wanted to, you know, challenge those people uh, to, to a certain degree, but but also make it introductory. Yeah, I'm not an expert in this by any means, of course Chase isn't, Uh, but this is something that I care about a lot, something I have devoted a lot of time to, Uh, and for those people who know any socialists in their life and are uh, afraid for them or of them, this is maybe an opportunity to hear it from the horse's mouth about like, what does this mean to people who self-identify as a socialist or communist living in America today? So without any further ado, I feel like let's just get right into it.
1: That solves it. All socialists are horses. So (laughs)
0: next topic. (laughs) Um, I want to reiterate just a couple things about the context. If you didn't listen to part one, please go back and listen. I think it sets a really good uh, stage for this part, but this, as you mentioned, this is the red meat of the whole thing. In my opinion, this is where the rubber really meets the road. And it's my, I think, Marx is spitting bars. He's spitting hot fire uh, in section two, in in my opinion. So uh, that said, it takes place immediately preceding the revolutions of 1848. Uh, There's a lot of massive unrest, revolutionary potential in every country in Europe. uh, And you're seeing the beginning, really, of the industrial capitalism taking place in the world.
1: And then the revolutions of 1848 are basically uh, groups of people in countries throwing off like kings and queens. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's a bourgeois revolution. It's the, which Marx talks about it's well, so the proletarian revolution would be the, you know, hypothetical communist revolution, but bourgeois revolutions were the throwing off of old feudal orders. That's why in section one, he's talking about how capitalism, you know, breaks all feudal bonds. It smashes them into pieces. All that is solid melts in the air under capitalism. Uh, because all these things that were so essential to human life for literal centuries, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, the divine right of kings, the uh, feudal property of relations, uh, as capitalism and profit became the driving force behind society, all of those things were destroyed and cast asunder. Okay, now, so it took
1: a little, you go ahead. Okay, so Marx is writing in the context of capitalism and the industrial revolution ushering out the kings and queens of imperial britain france uh and europe
0: yeah basically what he's saying is like okay all these things that the capitalists are doing right now we're gonna do that too later like be ready uh okay. because the the, re- the bonds that they're destroying well we then we are in turn going to destroy those bonds that uh, they're they're building in place of the feudal ones.
1: Okay, so he's a bit of a, a William Shakespeare kind of giving an ode to himself saying like, this is going to be really relevant in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's why, you know, uh, similarly to why, you know, people really uh, believe strongly in certain uh, things about Christianity. It's when you, as communists, when you look back at what he said in this, although some of it's immature and he goes on to revise parts in the Gotha program, And Capital, his seminal work, he is his predictive capacity and what he saw as the future of what capitalism was doing, and what it would go on to do was the most prescient, the most uh, insightful in, in our minds. So that to say Uh, there's a lot going on right now you have the dissolution of the church and nationalism replacing that and protestantism replacing catholicism something that's a little bit more compatible with capitalism Uh, you have uh, these shopkeepers and merchants and artisans who you know had their guild systems and whatever else those are beginning to go away and they're being proletarianized the peasants Who, you know, for a long time, if you just had your turnip field or whatever, you could feed your family, that is going away too. They're being brought into the cities, being brought into these slums to work with other proletariats uh, or with the rest of the proletariat, rather. Uh, And they are now coming into an understanding of themselves as workers rather than, you know, individual farmers or peasants or, or whatever else so that to say uh now Marx in section one describes the way in which capitalists are changing these relationships changing property relationships for instance and uh changing the way that labor is done and describing what profit is which is really a new thing i mean yeah you could sensibly make money beforehand, but the idea of profit as the driving force behind society and the market as being the foundation for the society was new. That was was just arrived on the scene. It was the hot new thing. And that's why, you know, uh, liberalism and like in our American constitution, for instance, um, freedom is very equated with the right to own property. Uh, That was the driving force behind a lot of these these bourgeois revolutions
1: okay yeah like said life liberty and property
0: yeah exactly and then he even goes further into this and gets into the really scary stuff you know talking about like women's rights and uh ooh, the abolition of the family um <laughs> which you know he even says that. In the text, That's, that is
1: scary if, if it, you know what um it, it certainly causes a little consternation on my side so anyway sure yeah i mean he even says in the text like even the most radical
0: ones will flare up at the, the mention of the abolition of the family but we'll get into all that and sort of discuss uh you know what exactly he means by that but first i want to ask you um what were your what were your immediate thoughts you know as we go through some of these topics uh, as he sets them out I, I'm more curious, you know, people know what I think, which is that I mostly agree, you know, although I have some slight differentiations and, and revisions, but um, what was your take on on things like, you know, his description of property?
1: Mm. On the whole, I disagree. and <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I, starting with property here, I have a question. He says in here that got it written. Property is the final expression of a system that produces products based on class antagonism, which I think you've said in our last episode was, was the oppression of many by a few. Right. And so therefore he wants to get rid of private property. Um, uh, I want to get you to do some more defining for me about property, private property Um, Is that different than public property or uh, obviously it is how personal property is that different? Uh, Maybe you can start there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for introducing that uh, concept because it, it is kind of obscured, I think, in part because we have very little understanding of public property that isn't really much of a thing in the United States like it is in other places to a greater degree. But the distinction between personal and private property is a really useful one, I think. Uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned uh, you're, you're talking about fixing your lawnmower the other day and, you know, taking the, taking a little bit of care of it. You know, you had to look up some YouTube videos to fix it up.
1: Slightly and, proud of myself. You know, I've never shot WD-40 in uh, where a spark plug goes. And so, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just goes to show what what sort of social class we come from.
0: Um, but the. Uh, hey, time out.
1: <laughs> dad do that a number of times i just well, to freaking do it myself
0: well yeah but he is where he was working class is working class um we had the benefit of, of sort of his upward mobility yeah freaking don't tell
1: daddy he's not like working that. class
0: Shoot. yeah no no he is he is but that to say that lawnmower is it could be personal or private property and the property distinction doesn't really have too much to do with the actual object or the commodity that we're talking about. It has much more to do with the use of that commodity. For instance, you fixed up that lawnmower, you bought it, you fixed it up, you used it to mow your lawn. That's personal property. However, if you took that same lawnmower and you hired your neighbor to mow other people's lawns and you paid them at a rate lower than what you were charging people uh, to mow that lawn, that's private property. Private property is anything you can use to exploit other people's labor to turn a profit for yourself.
1: Okay, so I'll cut in. In high school, you probably remember me doing this a few times. Uh, <laughs> we, we, I graduated in 08, and so the property downturn happened, and there were a lot of empty lots that had tons of weeds on them. And sure. so I hired classmates to... Clear those lots with me, and gave them equipment to do that. I paid them an hourly wage, but certainly made money on their labor. Um, So I yielded a profit off of uh, people working. So yeah, and
0: and there's their distinction. There is a little bit gray because in that case, you were actually working. Um, You both did the intellectual labor required to, you know, set up this system. And you also uh, did the manual labor alongside other people. Typically, that's not the case. Uh, typically, owners. Listen, I work at a place. I've never seen the damn owner. So, yeah. and I, you know, but they certainly make a lot more money than I do. Um, now, that sure. to say,
1: well, I, I, I guess I use that too to 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 introduce this idea of intellectual property. And I think that's something Marx is a little light on. Or
0: intellectual um, labor,
1: you mean? Uh, intellectual labor. Yeah. And yeah. Also intellectual property. Yeah. yeah. Right. In the sense of like that um, in our system. And I don't want to say our system is right and I'm defending it at all costs. I'm trying to go into this with an open mind, sure. but I just feel it's um, this isn't providing a lot of detail on intellectual property because we basically say, whoever is the intellectual property owner um, right is like, or is typically the creator or someone who's bought the rights to it. And that's really interesting the words i'm using because they mean things the rights to it so like you if if you're the owner if you're the owner of the idea you make all of the profit right and i think it's really interesting um this a lot of this what you've i think told me and i'm still chewing on is um the owner of the of the the intellectual property of whatever's going on, whether it's this simple example of kids working in a field and you've got like one slightly more ambitious, greedy kid charging, you know, making profit off his other classmates, yeah. or it's like a, you know, a restaurant owner. Um, like you're saying the owner, the intellectual property creator isn't the only one who should make the profit. It should be shared with those people laboring, the, 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 the people bringing it to life, every day no no i think that's great and that gets to a much more
0: foundational point about what is ownership of an idea how can you own an idea um and i'll bring up a marx quote but this is sort of the difference between liberalism and materialism is liberals believe that which we're all liberals whether or not you're you know a liberal politically or whatever. we don't
1: believe in the divine right of kings and queens therefore we're liberals
0: well, yeah, and well more fundamentally than even that, if you're a liberal, the liberal conception of history is that uh, individuals' ideas are what shapes uh, what happens in the world. The materialist conception of history is that what happens in the world shapes individuals' ideas. So you read this Marx quote, which he says, to be a capitalist is to have not only a purely personal, but a social status in production. Yeah. Capital is a collective product. And only by the united action of many members, nay, in the last resort, only by the una- united action of all members of society can it be set in motion. And to help you know, bring that down to the level of what that example you gave me, uh, you weren't the first person to ever think of hiring people to pick weeds in fact i would say based off of an accident of your birth uh you know we had a very political family a a family that talked about things like this a lot we were encouraged by our parents to be you know young entrepreneurs going out there mowing people's lawns for money selling lemonade whatever it was uh, by virtue of being born in america Uh, By virtue of being born in a society that has many of your needs taken care of uh, those things all contributed to you being able to be in the position to hire other people and, you know, quote unquote exploit their labor. Uh, So what he's saying there is there there are no it wasn't your idea. To do that, it was the the only reason you're even able to have that idea is because you live in a society of that it's, that is collective. Um, and that's something that capitalism kind of and especially in the American ideology and that version of it really tries to obscure by saying, oh, no, 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 no. Everything that happens is because an individual thought of it and it's their own brilliance that made that come into being. What he's saying is no, the individual only thinks of that because of the conditions in which they live. And it can only be carried out through collective labor and collective action. So in that situation, you know, like were that to be in a somewhat more socialized way, uh, the people that you hired, it's not to say that, you know, we wouldn't have people having ideas and wanting to create a firm to create products or just provide a service, um, but that the people who were a part of that operation should have some say in how it's run. Because the reality is without them, you're nothing. And you're just some guy picking weeds and you don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that all by themselves if they can have other people, you know, help them and everyone mutually benefit. Um, so that to say, you know, to bring that down into like a modern example, if we were be something like that, this is sort of like market socialism, which, you know, some kind might get mad at me for even bringing up, but I think it, you know, there's different purposes and and everything can be pragmatic in certain situations. So, it would be something like all those people you hired. Well, they also, along with you, they say, okay, I get that you hired the idea, you provided the equipment. So yeah, you deserve a little bit more, but we should we should at least have take a vote on, um, on what we do with that money, on the way that it's distributed. We should make this, uh, we should bring that democracy, you know, that we're all so fond of in this country uh, down to the level of the workplace to a certain degree. Uh, so that is kind of, kind of what he's what he's getting at there in in terms of property and in terms of, of labor too is that this idea that no one is solely responsible from the most the biggest billionaire in the world from your bill gates and jeff bezos of the world which wouldn't have what they have without very specific sets of circumstances that they were lucky to be involved in um then they sh- that doesn't mean that they are singularly brilliant it means that they're lucky
1: so uh, I guess I, I see a lot of your point, but I, don't, I certainly don't agree with all of it because there is something to be said about either the ingenuity or the the, the, the like an original idea and the uh, choices that are made along the way to bring an idea to life or not, like we were talking about. We've got some family members trying to pursue, you know, being a doctor, like, you know, not on our side, actually, but um, in law side. Right. And uh, one lady in particular is like losing friends because she doesn't want to go out and and party with them. because She's staying for the MCAT. And there's choices there that are certainly being rewarded. And therefore, like doctors should make more than people who chose to front load their pleasure right? And therefore are working as like, maybe just like, I'm not like a receptionist in the doctor's office, right? Like one person really studied hard. The other person didn't study as hard and ha- can provide a different service. So I guess, um, so, so that's on the second idea, but this first idea I think is like, on one hand, I'm thinking of like, like the light bulb, right? Um, yes, he was born into, you know, society and maybe parents and you know, I don't quite remember all thomas edison's background right now but guess what i'm saying is like uh, to say that like th- every idea should be like you know completely community owned to me doesn't make sense either
0: well i mean like i think the light bulb is a great example because thomas edison wasn't the only person who invented the light bulb it wasn't the only person who invented you know voltage electricity and i think that is a really great you know instance of like there was something going on in in the collective unconscious of that society of the time. There was clearly a need for something beyond, you know, gas-powered lamps or whale oil or whatever. And so they happened to be in a time and place. He had multiple competitors, Nikola Tesla, George Westinghouse, who were developing these technologies in parallel. We just remember Thomas Edison as being the quote-unquote inventor of the light bulb because he's the one who brought it to market in the way that won. Even though uh, it's pretty clear now that his way was a less efficient means of actually providing electricity to people. Uh, and I think, but, but, but just by virtue of the time and place in which he existed, uh, he get one, one in, in the, uh, marketplace of ideas. Um, so while I agree that certainly some, uh, things like being a doctor, uh, provide a, uh, Greater level of buy in from the participant and more work and, and what have you. Uh, and, and I'm not even necessarily saying that they shouldn't be compensated uh, more in some way, shape, or form. Um, what I am saying, though, is that if all of our doctors are just purely motivated by a desire to make more money, I don't think that's a good thing necessarily either. Uh, We're we well, want... not. What's that? Yeah, uh,
1: even now, people go in and for both.
0: Exactly. They do go in it for both. Um, but the pressure, like if you're taking the MCAT, you know, like it, there is a material uh, element to that. You know, there, there is a, a desire to avoid the precarity that comes from being a receptionist. Um, so in practical terms, and like I said, another thing I, I should have probably brought into the context of this is this is sort of communism and Karl Marx's introduction to the world. There was, like, probably, like, I don't know, a couple hundred communists, like, committed, scattered throughout Europe at the time this was written. Um, so, this was his, this was his, their welcoming party, more or less, which, coincidentally, was published on my birthday, February 21st, 1848. So, it's just a curious historical antidote. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's another thing, is that this is sort of them advertising themselves and, and a lot of this stuff that he go into much greater detail. And as I said, he, he revises a little bit of this as he goes into other things, but that's, that's where he's at right now.
1: Well, two more thoughts on this property point uh, is uh, one uh, a counter and another one. I'll compromise and say, I think that there, you've got a legitimate point here. One uh, that, that I don't like is this voting um, and, uh, and sort of like, you tongue-in-cheek holding up democracy as like this pedestal system like uh, i mean i think socrates said that democracy is only better than tyranny right and i think like it's you know there's a lot of famous quotes about democracy all i'm saying is that like democracy very often is like a race to average or a race to the bottom right and it's like whoever it's like it's, a, it's mob rule man it's 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 popular kid in school and that isn't the best thing um, very often. Now it might be, uh, so I just don't like it. Uh, number sure. two, um, you know, I, I think there is a point I've got to consider further about this idea that um, workers, uh, people bringing to life um, the idea of the intellectual property, right? Should share in a little bit of the profit. I think one really interesting modern socialist proposal that I've shared with a lot of people, uh, neighbors and Bible study members and everything else that sort of catches some people off guard is that there should be a a worker or a laborer, a salary owner or someone who gets paid hourly or salary um, on the board of directors, or maybe even it should be up to like 50%. I I don't know. I guess all I'm saying is that that's a really interesting idea because I think that when you put all the decision-making in the hands of the, sh- of, uh, of the shareholders um, and those shareholders are a few well then they do what's in the best interest of the shareholders and you see things like um, what's happened in you know the company dad was working for whatever you see like executives who've made bad decisions getting golden parachutes and people's retirements getting emptied and you go wait a second like what you know I don't care if it was legal and it was a part of the agreement that's an immoral agreement like that strikes right. against my like nature like those people should be maybe not punished for their incompetence but their retirement should have the same sort of impact that like their hourlies did who've been working for that company for 30 years you know what I mean yeah
0: no definitely I mean I think that bosses love to talk about workers taking ownership over their work you know like ah it takes take some ownership um without giving them any actual ownership um uh, <laughs> which I think would uh, inspire workers to, you know, take a little bit more pride in their work if they knew that they were actually uh, seeing the benefits of that. Uh, to address your first point, uh, I think, you know, it's important to consider Socrates. He has some good ideas. He was also an aristocrat
1: and a pedophile. Uh, you know, we should remember. I mean, everyone that. was a pedophile back then, just about. So just I'm not saying it <laughs> was not all I'm saying, is, I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying it was common. And- yes. But I think his observation of human nature, as is Churchill's, was keen in the sense of, like, democracy is mob rule. Like, we don't even have a democracy. We have a democratic republic. And this is something that I mentioned before, is that I'm really skeptical of something that, like, puts up democracy as a holy grail, because I start to get concerned about my individual rights, right? So, like, so minority right, right? So, yeah, yeah, it can be majority rule, but you better be darn sure like you increase you you include minority rights because and that's minority right of either the the owner or the minority right of literally the minority party because if we put this on youtube and i think we start to should should stop doing that because kids can watch um <laughs> I and mean, they, they, they freaking should this is this talk is, about me hitting my babe yeah um
0: <laughs> but no, well, like, that's, that's, I understand that. Um, I think it's also important to consider that those systems were put into place by people who were members of the ruling class. Um, and they might dress it up in terms of like, oh, yeah, we actually just want to, pre- we just want to protect you guys. When in reality, it's, well, we don't want these, these, uh, these street urchins running things, these these fricking peasants in charge. We're,
1: we're the smart ones, right? Like we're quick the aside. ones who ought to be here anyways. So let's keep the power a little bit closer to the top. Shall we real quick uh, aside, almost like a commercial. I have been doing some um, old newscasts, like watching it was um the color of compromise too. I was watching this and they have a lot of like 1970s, eighties news flashbacks about crime waves and about, you know, how we unequally treated Um, particularly blacks, but also um, homeless and or, you know, uh, those predisposed to crime or something. And boy, have we really changed our narrative about uh, the unhoused or the homeless or street people, um, uh, you know, or whatever it is. So and then we've even gone from, as Joel said before, like, you know, oh, the less fortunate to, Oh, just like the lazy, or something like that. So, very interesting how that has changed throughout society, based on other things. Back to the po- topic of property. Um, yeah. So, well, so that's. So I, I'm working. let let's, with let's move on a little bit because we we could talk about this all day. Yeah. Um, but on. the next point he brings
0: up is because throughout this section he sort of goes he he brings up common
1: arguments against communism and then tries to. Well, to eliminate uh, before them. we do that, can we talk profit a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I so, think this, these are two things are connected. But yeah, what's yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. And so, so, um, and so I hear him saying, "Profit equals exploitation equals immorality." Period. And I don't agree with that. I I can see how it can be exploited, and it can be used to manipulate, but I think him writing and uh, remembering his context is really important. He's writing in the context of like the industrial revolution, where there's child labor, uh, where there is uh, people who are working, you know, 16 hours a day, some seven days a week, just to stay alive in the ghetto, right? We don't have that right now. And so- Well, we don't, but the people who provide the products, which we all use
0: on an everyday basis, do.
1: So this is a really uh, interesting point. Actually, I,
0: wonder, I wonder what that shirt you're wearing was made and who it was made by and how many hours they worked that day.
1: And so that's really interesting. And this is, I, I will, I think this is out of order based on how you've laid it out at the beginning of the episode, but it's worth mentioning that we don't have poor huddled masses like other con- developing countries, third world countries do. And
0: well, we do, but they're in fewer number. and.
1: Yeah, yes. I mean, they're not living like, as many as like in like, you know, Millions in tin shacks, right? Yeah. Um, who go to work and who are either um, producing our agriculture, or who are uh, making our garments, or who are putting together our microchips, or mining the the things that come from uh, that make up our microchips. Yeah. And so that's another point that I haven't really thought through yet is that. Um, I don't think capitalism depends on it, but I certainly do think it's exploiting it right now. And so that's really interesting now, but I, I have countered with you on the first episode though, that like, I'm just going kind of going through the, 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 the common traps of the counter. Well, it's a market relationship like supply meets demand. They're willing to put up, it's a, it's a contract, which is saying, yes, we will work for X um, and they pay Y or they pay X. And um they you know again i it's the common phrase I, well every you know every uh agreement is just that it's an agreement it's an, between two parties right if they wouldn't have agreed to it then they wouldn't have agreed to it um
0: well and i think you bring up a great point and i think that this shows how that isn't real because the the modern developed world america being the very very center of that and where i'm currently living new york being the very very center of that uh these that is the bourgeoisie of the world. We, we we can no longer think about the American economy as like a closed system, but as part of a global financial and capitalist system. But I think that makes sense, actually. And yeah, and so like if you're um if you're a cobalt miner in the Democratic Republic of Congo, yeah, you might technically be getting paid a wage or enter into a contract with your boss, but the choice is do that or become a child soldier or die or starve to death. Uh, So you you don't really have the same like, yeah, it's my yeah, wage labor might technically look like two free people entering into a contract. But in reality, one of those people has much greater power and agency than the other person does. And And it's hard for me to look at someone who's a cobalt miner in the Democratic Republic of Congo as anything more than really a slave to the wage system.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, like a slave to the wage system, and I think where you start to make a point is not in, oh, gee, the cobalt miner should be equal in in pay to the CEO who came up with the idea of putting cobalt in microchips, but that even if it's a fraction of a percent, the the miners um, who are you know executing or are using the equipment to mine cobalt should somehow. Uh, you know, sensibly, if they're working for the company that, that created this machinery, they should somehow share in the profit of the sale of cobalt, not just in the, the wage that they have been paid. So basically, everybody's like on a commission of profit of the company, something like that. I kind of like that in that, you know what, like Costco, for instance, or other companies, I, I've been, you know, uh, talking to a lot of companies, and the ones that have a lot of excitement are uh, with like personal stakes in it is like the ones with stock options where the employees are getting stock because they kind of all feel like they're in it together. Like they're trying to look out for the company's bottom line.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go to a Costco, everyone, they they want to work because the more profit the Costco makes, the more they actually benefit.
1: Yeah. I I think that that's really interesting. And again, the counter to that as well, like, you know, companies are free to do that and if it's better for them, then they'll do it. Well, mm -mm. No, I will speak against like my conservative betters and say that, um, no, they won't do it if, it's, if it's, it's more, you know, better for everybody. If it They'll affects do it.
0: their individual bottom yeah, line that's in a I mean. way that they don't want. And, and to the point about like, yeah, like for something like a cobalt mine, which is something that like the modern world is an intrinsic part of the modern world. Uh, and most of the owners of those mines are probably the descendants of like Belgian slave traders um who just inherited their, their minds um so i don't Again, really I, think I they're I also disagree entitled some... to ownership of it i think things like that should be owned entirely by the workers uh, stop, but...
1: stop, 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 stop. let's let's get into inheritance let's get into family yeah, yeah, yeah i actually don't think that inheritance is a bad thing um and it, one it's biblical two um i think that like that's a reason i might work hard right is to pass on like you, you and i did not have a college savings account right largely one of the one of the reasons not my main reason but one of the reasons i was hunting for a scholarship and went to west point was because like there was no money in the college account yeah. i was either going to go to work or freaking you know join the army or maybe get a football scholarship right and um and so i think that if in some way we provide more op- that's a reason i work hard to provide more opportunity for cato and for any other kids is to like, give him something i didn't have and I think a lot of people have a fear, and it's a good fear, that if um, they were to hand it over to the state or to the, the democracy that runs everything, uh, that next opportunity for their pe- people after them will be less good than what they could provide themselves. And that is a fear for mine. Like, I want to be able to provide Cato better than I had. Therefore, I want to work for that. And if you take that away, I might not work as hard because I know you're going to do it.
0: Well, um, you know what? That's that's great, great transition because this is another um, Marx quote I wanted to bring in from this God. section because he, he he talks about that specifically like oh well if you you know take away the if you take away the need for people to survive um, by working for other people and making them money then they, people won't work as hard um, but as he says according to this bourgeois society ought long ago to have gone to the dogs through sheer idleness. For those of its members who work, acquire nothing, the working class, and those who acquire anything do not work. Uh, the whole of this objection is but another expression of the tautology, that there can no longer be any wage labor when there is no longer any
1: capital. Okay, I will think I'll translate to that to what you're, I think you're trying to say. You're trying to say that the rich continue to earn profit and make money and create, and they're not doing it, and th- their children are, and grandchildren are already provided for and they continue to work and create, therefore it is likely that other people will too.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's to bring up your earlier point, like if people's need, like we already, like we have a crisis of overproduction uh, in modern capitalism, I think is, which is very true. We're already working.
1: That's off topic.
0: Yeah, well, what I mean is, like, we're already working way more uh, than is actually necessary to meet the needs of everyone. Um, and I think that that is something that's very obscured. Uh, but, I mean, just look at the massive amounts of products that end up in landfills or that are, are sold at, you know, totally sunk costs by companies just to get them out of their inventory. Yeah. Uh, like they're we're already making. Dang it. You are much. driving
1: us off topic. Cause I, I can't let it hang by saying that, like, yes, part of our, we have, we, we are providing for the freedom to consume, right? Like if you, because all of a sudden what I create in my mind is the alternative to what we have is you saying, okay, this is your toothbrush. The state says that you get one, one every six months here's your toothbrush. And, you know, and you don't get another one until uh, six months and a day. And if I want to buy one at four months, like I have the ability to, I have worked for the freedom to consume two two, two toothbrushes or, you know, freaking 12 boxes of dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. You see what I'm saying? Like there are certain consequences to the freedom, but darn it, I've worked for it. And so I guess what I'm saying is like, we, we, And it goes back to like, I think, again, a human nature thing, man, of like even Machiavelli and the prince, right? He's talking about how hard it is to enslave people who have become accustomed to democracy. Um, We have become accustomed to the freedom of choice and the freedom to consume. And so I think you take that freedom away. It's not only potentially immoral, it's impractical.
0: I I mean, I I think that as Margaret Thatcher says, uh, you know, socialism works until you run out of other people's money. Uh, I would turn that around. And this is not my own idea, but it's um, capitalism only works until you run out of under other individual surplus labor. Uh, and what I mean by that is there, like, I think the, the toothbrush example you brought up, although, I mean, it, it, that's totally made up, like, it wouldn't exactly work like that. What I'm saying is, is like, we shouldn't end up with just toothbrushes, pallets of toothbrushes ending up in landfills. No, no, I agree. Uh, which with you, is what we, but current, but the system we currently let me have like, right now.
1: Yeah, let's just use the toothbrush example, right? But that's kind of what happens out of a centrally planned economy, so I assume, so I fear, right? And, and I, I will say there are assumptions and fears, not like hard and fast dictates just because- Maybe a Soviet economy was run a certain way. I agree with you. uh, Modern American socialism in a Western democratic society would look and feel different. God hope it, right? Yes. But if we have 350 million people and there's going to be a toothbrush every six months, then we need 700 million toothbrushes every year produced, right? Centrally planned. That's what you get. And we Mm -hmm. might have 10% extra for the people who get cavities and really need to brush twice a day. Something like that. And I'm you know everyone I, needs a brush twice a day. I was about okay, to say don't to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes uh, I don't uh, <laughs> I confess sometimes I don't, but uh <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? That's how you control a centrally planned economy. Yeah, whereas like I, I would much rather have overproduction because like then you know what, for the people who choose to buy late, I'm a super late adopter. I very rarely buy the new thing. I'm going to buy the next gen toothbrush like two years from now and get it at a discount. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. No, I mean
0: like, yeah, but I think that, you know, that if when democracy is involved in this process, like the people who make up the bulk of the population, the workers are the ones who decide oh, no, this is how much we need. You know, it's not coming down on high from some bureaucrat, ostensibly. Of course, I understand people will say, oh, that's not how it's worked in the past. But the reality is conditions are different. Our country is different. Our people are different. The world is different now. And if the system is democratic, then those types of decisions are made by the people who are actually benefiting from them, not made by some unaccountable capitalist who is just doing it, who all of the decisions are based off of how can I get the most profit?
1: Right. But man, I, I don't think the, uh, and I, we don't got to kill it here, but like, we, I don't think the alternative is any better. Right. Like I think the decision might even be better suited for like an oligarchical system, which is like a company, right. You have shareholders and a board of directors and maybe some other people feeding into it, um, rather than a pure democracy, because like, think about in our own, uh, Congress and Senate, very detailed, like exacting decisions are very poorly made in a public atmosphere whereas like um detailed ones in which maybe even sacrifices and or divestment in some parts of the company and investment in other parts of the company that were like that wouldn't happen in a publicly or in in a democratically elected uh company because like you would be losing the jobs of the divestment i just think that like no, and
0: and like I agree with you. Like, yeah, of course, not all these decisions are going to be made by pure direct democracy. Uh, there, yeah, there will be bureaucrats, but uh, and there, but there, but they'll be politically appointed. Uh, there will be people in charge of making the decisions. I mean, now we have things like AI and supercomputers that are much better at making some of these decisions than humans are, and we can you know leverage those for our needs. And I agree that yeah, it won't be like you know, purely every single worker is going to decide how many toothbrushes they need. Um, But Marx isn't being prescriptive here. As I think he says in another book, I'm not going to, I'm not making the recipes for the cooks of the future to use. He's just sort of describing the state of things and saying like, well, we just need to fix this problem. How exactly that will look? Well, that's up to the people to decide. Um, But the decisions he, what he's saying is, but we can't keep letting all of these decisions being made by just the market because it's not totally efficient it's not it it definitely demands way more of workers than is necessary now what that exact figure is well that's for people to determine
1: well Um, what i'll say is and i should have said at the beginning that i encourage folks um to listen to the core of what you're saying and particularly the problem identification i think one motif we've picked up between us is that we commonly g- agree on a problem at least to some degree like i like the idea or i excuse me i don't like the problem of people being paid uh a meaningful wage labor without feeling ownership in it because they don't have ownership that's an idea that's interesting at, at yeah. least you know what i mean like to argue against myself in a way what is taxation without representation um you know what is you know i'm giving you freaking taglines but what is uh, what is salary without stock it's tyranny yeah. in a yeah, sense
0: it, it right? is
1: it, you you are obligated to that company but you have no
0: say in the uh distribution of resources within that company or, or the, the planning of that company. And would there still be executives in communism of firms? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's something that we'll ha- we would have to figure out as we would get there. Um, but I don't think that's incompatible. And I think that there are, yeah, there would be need to be some forms of hierarchy
1: to make decisions, of course. like Well, again, okay, so just when you say- Anyways, but okay. Like that, okay we're staring the getting- When When you say like some form of hierarchy because one thing I haven't mentioned in all of this is the unequal distribution of ability, right? Um, I've had teachers argue against me when I've you know, flipped on different sides. They're arguing against like a pure communism because students have different levels of ability, whether it's based on their parents' ability, their parents' circumstances, nature and nurture combined. Sure. Therefore, in the workplace, there will be an unequal a, a distribution of ability and of outcome. And when you say things that sound like equal distribution of resources, then people go, well, gee, like all my unequalness that makes me special will be unrewarded. Therefore, why would I exert effort in ways that I then, then in that I will, well, yeah. I will, I will do what gets me paid and that's it.
0: Well, yeah. And I think that is one suffers from a lack of imagination about the way people are incentivized to do things. Not everyone does everything out of Profit incentive. There's desire to be respected in your it's community. True. That's true. There is the desire to just want to contribute and to help. Um, and, like, and but but and like and you're saying, just like to, no. to
1: strengthen that point for you, I think, which is it's a good point. It's that you've said a lot of this is built on us like strengthening those community bonds, and yeah. so we would need that to be stronger. And it, I think it should be stronger no matter what. Um, You're saying this is also predicated on that, like, yes, like that motivation to help your fellow man, put it in good language, needs to be equal to or greater than getting a higher bonus than your neighbor.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, to bring it from 1848 to 2021, what I'm looking for is that those people who don't have the same skills or desires because of an accident of their birth, nature versus nurture, all that stuff, I just don't want them to feel like they have to you know, work four different jobs, uh, part-time, scrape, scrimp and save every day just to survive. And 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 while their boss, the CEO of those companies they work for, lives in the absolute lap of luxury, making, you know, at times 200, 300, 500 times as much as the median wages of their
1: companies. And the wealth of the executive goes on to spoil rotten his progeny and the children of the, you know, two job, a single mom um, falls into drug addicted, you know, uh, bad uh, company because the mom's not there to, you know, rear their children with character. Right. So I, I think for that point, a lot of Christians should go, wait a second. You have a good eye on the problem here. If we really care about family values, not just like white Southern Christian values, um, but like family conditions, then we should make sure that people are like home enough to you know at least a couple hours a day with their kids, something yeah. like that. Um, that is something that like I have to figure out what that means in politics. But I think you're freaking right.
0: Yeah, and and I think you know as much as I, we 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 have a lot left to get through here, and we're Dude, running we, out of we're running out of then. some time. So we'll have to we'll have to start to wind things up. But we there will be a part two to the part two. Um, but. I think in terms of what I mean by democracy in the workplace, you know, it's deciding things like, okay, yeah, I get CEO has more responsibility, has certain other skills that make them more in demand than your average assembly line worker. But at least, you know, the workers should have some form of say and be like, okay, well, yeah, they should maybe make a little bit more than us, but maybe three or five times or at, at most 10 times as much as the median worker. Are they really that much more valuable than us? Um, and so you make decisions like that be like, okay, yeah, CEO, like your pay is capped at a certain level of like, okay, if the workers are making 40 grand a year on average, uh, then okay, CEO, you can still make 400 grand a year, which is plenty for anyone. Absolutely. I think to to, to say that's not enough for someone is insane. Uh, I don't want to say insane
1: to quote Mr. Burns at all for just a little more
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so i mean we didn't even get into the real juicy stuff today although i love talking about this stuff um but stay bear with us because the next episode we're going to get into stuff like mark's talking about women's rights mark's talking about the abolition of the nation and as i mentioned before family abolition that real sticking point um and freedom in general so I think that's probably good enough for today. He'll also
1: address what he what he sees as the 1940 or 1848 claims against communism and how he responds. So
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's still a lot left to get through and maybe we rambled a little bit too much, but I I really enjoyed the conversation talking about this stuff with you. Folks at home, I hope you have enjoyed this and feel a little bit more edified by it. Um, even if it's to strengthen your own points about the free market or whatever other insane thing you believe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think that, that that is a pretty good encapsulation of him talking about property specifically yeah. and labor and productivity profit. yeah, and profit and all, all that good stuff. Um, now I know Chase, you have to go, you have, you have some, uh, some other people to interview to be exploited by. Uh, or to be interviewed by, to be exploited by. Um, but is there anything else you have before you want to leave this one? Any other, any other thoughts that you've, uh, well, you just feel a, like you need to get out? let's put a
1: feather in the cap here on, um, you know, we've been talking a lot and have um, been in the environment a lot of the, the topic of forgiveness. And um, I've been learning a lot about forgiveness, um, preparing for a fall um, you know, Bible study series on forgiveness, and because of that, like I'm really trying to, uh, Lord's leading me to be challenged through, particularly self forgiveness, and thank God it's coming because I beat the crap out out of myself, and so uh, if anybody needs. Self forgiveness. I'll put myself in that line quickly, and so yeah,
0: I'm a masochist, and
1: I'm like, man,
0: Chase is a masochist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and you know what, man? Like, if it's yeah, it, it it certainly you can start working against yourself, and right, and like you, it's like an implosion, or it's a machine that starts beating itself up, and so, um, and so I've, I've I I will attest to some 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 liberation from some of this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and the two parts of forgiveness that he really lays out are, you know, a release of like, I I, I release you of any kind of obligation. And the second part is actually empathizing, having compassion on whoever you are forgiving and both things are necessary in order to, and Jesus says this in order so that you won't be delivered to the tormentors as in like, I'm, I'm starting to believe and see that I've been experiencing torment because of my, unwillingness to forgive myself or you know for other application, forgive others and in, in a, a very simple sense it's like you're drinking poison by by hold, harboring unforgiveness so I think we should forgive one because we honor and love God two because we're commanded to and we're we are, we are only forgiven to the degree in which we forgive and three because we're drinking poison by not forgiving people and so uh, man forgiveness requires vulnerability it requires a lot of things and it's, it's a topic it's been very familial. Um, it's been very personal. And so um, I, I think, you know, we, we, we mention it here and if people are interested, you know, they can write in and, and we can go deeper on a, on a separate episode on it. But I know that was a conversation we had at length last night.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely a topic that's been swirling around in my brain quite a bit. And I would, I would love to do a fuller episode on something like that because I also think it it does um, have a materialist basis in in a sense too. And it does apply to things like these conversations we're having as well, um, based off of, you know, this idea of nature versus nurture, how, how responsible are all of us for the things that we do. Um, but also, you know, just as a matter of, like you said, like being good to yourself is to forgive others and to forgive yourself. Um, so if anyone's struggling about that with that, and you don't have anyone to talk to, feel free to reach out to us. We're, uh, we have a lot of thoughts on the, on the matter.
1: Yeah. We Um, would love the motivation to get, get deep on forgiveness stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, A lot of exciting ones we're preparing for. I I won't even, I won't even let the cat out of the bag. There's a couple cool coming, a couple, coming down the pipe. Um, yeah. So Cyrus, um, I love you. And, um, is there any mention you want to say to you've moved to New York? You've been there a few weeks.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's in a place. It's a land of contrasts. <laughs> I will say that um, you see a lot of wealth here. Uh, you see a lot of poverty here that you you can't really find in a place like Idaho or, or other places that I've I've lived before. Although I have lived in some places like that, but uh, it is. Um, I'm in the heart of it. I'm in the heart of capitalism. This is this is the, the beating fresh blood poured out into the gutters every day um, as the uh, workers are, are destroyed, gristed for the mill. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been an experience and I'm sure I'll have some more interesting thoughts about it as I, as I go on, I'll be sure to bring those up. But, uh, in the meantime, Chase, I love you. I forgive you for being a capitalist. Um, and <laughs> I well, not that you're a capitalist necessarily, but you know, I, I, yeah.
1: Anyways, um, I think I'm giving a, a good college effort to being open-minded, but... Uh, to being open-minded, to be as, as, an hope, as I hope as I hope am, too. And
0: I love you very and much, and good luck down. on your interviews today. Thank good you. To love to
1: you. rules are eternal, and this has been a contest over a principle. In this
0: contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come
1: as aggressors.
0: Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs, and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.